Ira Jersey, take it away. Welcome to League One Fun. We're presented by the Beautiful Game Network and brought to you by Roughneck Scarves. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. That voice you heard was Jason. Jason, your voice a little raspy. You've been uh, up late some nights partying or something? I I wish. You know, it's tough being the hardest working man in this industry. I got to do what I got to do. So, you know, we're getting there, though. You know, we're we're getting to a championship game. So I got to come through. Got to got to. Bring the excitement. Let's let's do it. Well, before we start talking about the semifinals and preview the finals, we have to talk about probably the biggest news this week besides the playoff implications of last week's matches, and that is that Lansing Ignite appears to be extinguished. Jason, Lansing Ignite's not going to be anymore. They came in second place in the league. They had the third most uh, fans, at least announced attendance. Um, you know, we we know that some of those numbers are sometimes fudged. What the heck is going on here, Jason? Yeah, I don't know what's worse. The the fact that they folded after one year or that, that punchline you just used uh, to say that they folded in one year. But uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sure uh, it was my dad, uh, my dad <laughs> joke there, I'm sure. But but in all seriousness, because this is, this is just not a good situation for the players, the fans, you know, uh, uh, the citizens of Lansing. It's just, it's not cool. And, you know, I, I got uh, a... A hint of it when I was in a meeting and then I walked out the meeting and had about 20 DMs of people telling me that this was happening and yeah I talked to reliable sources and found out it was and you know I found out a little more information and so one thing I wanted to point out um, and it was asked a lot this is not a reflection of League One right this is not an indication of how League One is doing this is the straight doing of a owner who did not like the results of his uh, financial situation at the end of this year uh, and is selfishly deciding to leave, right? And this is a baseball guy who doesn't understand, you know, that nobody's probably going to make a profit from a soccer team their first year in the league's first year, right? And so he thought that, you know, he first and foremost, you can go back and listen to the Lance or or read the Lansing Pulse interview when they first announced this team. One of the things I found weird was the owner was expecting 70,000 people per year, which is a wildly high expectation, right? Like just as a, just as an example, Ford Madison had 800 more people per game than anyone else in the league. And they just hit over 60,000. So 70,000 is a wildly high expectation. And I don't know if it's because of the success that the Lugnuts had um, that he thought that they would bring out that many people. But to think that they were going to bring out that many people is absolutely ridiculous. And then a couple other things from the Lansing Pulse in that interview, the owners group paid several million for franchising fees, um, $1.2 million for travel, and then the player's salary. So it was a good amount of investment. Uh, but the city, too, is suffering from this, right? And that and that's where I have a big disappointment in when it comes, you know, with the owner, because the city had to pay $150,000 for to purchase equipment. The city was the one who was paying for the majority of the conversions from the baseball to the soccer field, right? This was making a promise to the city of an investment to grow the game, you know, grow businesses, uh, bring on jobs. And instead, it's just gone after one year, right? And so there's a bunch of conspiracies as to why this happened. But at the end of the day, everything looks like it points to the owner, you know, not being happy about his finances. 
So very sad time for Lansing, and I'm sure we'll have maybe more detail about this at some point in the not-too-distant future. Um, you know, we've talked off the record with some people, and, you know, it's a very sad situation on, uh, you know, especially for some of the players. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think that Lansing could have done as a, a separate revenue source was probably re-sign a few of their players because a lot of the the standard USL contract is a one-year contract with a one-year extension. You do that uh, that team extension for four or five of those players, and I bet you you could have sold them for fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. And, and to championship teams and maybe even an MLS team here or there. And the next thing you know, you start off the bat with $300,000 in revenue before you've even played a match, right? So that that's something that, you know, isn't going to happen and hasn't even been tried. So it'll be interesting to see if South Georgia might, might have, you know, one or two players and maybe some of the other teams. But certainly it's something that, you know, Lansing Ignite, I heard rumors that there was interest from some championship teams for a few of their players. Now they're going to go for free. Good for the players, not so good necessarily for the fans of Lansing or, or even even the league, quite frankly, because it'd be nice to see, you know, what is the market for League One players like that? Look, it comes down to an owner not having the expectations and the patience and the passion to do this, right? And I hope this is a wake-up call for USL to better vet out their owners. I'd rather take an owner of someone of a you know amateur soccer team who might not be a multimillionaire but cares about the community cares about the residents cares about the players cares about the game right if this was his way of trying to make a quick buck you know this is the type of owners we don't want you know and and props you know the jeremy sampson he brought you know lansing united head coach nate miller over brought in a couple players tried to bring in that culture and that's where that disconnect was because you have a guy like jeremy who's trying to bring in that culture and then you have an owner who just doesn't care and is looking at this as as a money grab right and you could tell when he ripped off the old uh detroit logo and branding to do the ignite branding right and there's plenty of rumors as to why he would want to do this right there's one of them saying that he had a better deal with the stadium had he had brought in two teams and he'd be making more money by doing that that's one another one and one that's interesting is when ignite came out there was also a trademarked beer city football club at the same time and the rumor is that he wanted a usl championship team in grand rapids which shows you the kind of person he is because mpsl already has a grand Rapids side over there but the league told him that he had to prove himself in lansing first and then he can launch one in grand rapids later which would be the championship team lansing being able to be the feeder club but my thing is the fact that he wanted to do that just shows he was just money hungry and now that you know grand rapids isn't doing well financially and mpsl and in, in general isn't doing well financially they're afraid that this might be a possibility to where you know that uh tom dixon comes back and goes okay well it didn't work in lansing but i still have this grand rapids thing trademark and I hope if he does have the audacity to go to USL and say to them, okay, now I want to do Grand Rapids, USL tells, tells him that he can shove his head up, you know what? You know what I mean? I mean an ass, Ira. I'm talking about an ass. He can oh, shove no. his head up. I, 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 I got to break out the beep now. Oh, <laughs> no. I think we'll be okay. We'll, we'll, we'll stay PG-13. It's just ridiculous. I, I just I, I yeah. hate everything about this. Lansing went from having a, you know a, a MPSL team to a pro team to nothing all within you know what uh, 20 20 months is just absolutely crazy yeah and and it's sad too because they I think they really were building a, an interesting fan culture there and they had a they had a lot of potential but 
In the interest of time, since we do have a, a very packed show for everyone today, let's m- keep on moving on. Uh, in other USL uh, League One news, Orlando City B seems to be cleaning house. Rumor is they're only going to keep two or three players. Jason, is that uh, is that what you're hearing as well? Yeah, I mean, uh, who who was the one that brought that up, Ira? <laughs> uh, but no, I I do have. Uh, some sources that have told me that Orlando City B is a uh, cleaning house. They're only bringing back two to three players uh, with the announcement of them moving their stadium to a more populated area. They're hoping to now possibly bring in uh, first team players who are either not playing because of international duty and need time and uh, practice or are recovering from injury. Um, so this is the opportunity now to bring in more people. But, you know, and, and also, you know, kind of split in between first team and academy players but it's one of those things to where it's good for the league in a sense to where orlando city b will probably be a little more competitive um we'll have more fans come to the game i mean as long as 10 people show up that's more fans that came than this year but it's it's you know it kind of gets rid of the that middle ground right so players like you know tiago de souza and leonard simas you know, they're kind of left out. And those are talented players who deserve to play somewhere. So it'll be interesting to see what's going on with Orlando. As you know, they got rid of their head coach um, in the, on their first team. It's obviously a problem with the front office. I think the big problem is they don't know what they're doing. They don't have a goal. They don't have direction. They don't have a plan. And he's just putting in his own people hoping for the best, and guess what? It hasn't been the best because when you look at it, their NWSL team, their MLS team, and their USL team are all finishing at the bottom of the table. Yeah, that was a great uh, that that was a great graphic that someone sent out about the the pride and, as well as uh, Orlando City and Orlando City B. Yeah, the not one the, the, the the one good thing, yeah, not necessarily the players. There's one good thing potentially about um, the or, Orlando City B. You know, ha- having this hybrid where they might have some players come down from the first team if they're not playing, or maybe they're like the 15th, 16th, 17th player on the roster, so they don't see a lot of playing time on a on a week to week basis. Some other teams use their USL team uh, in the championship to do that like just as an example like the red bulls do it you actually saw toronto uh, to do it this year right with Schaffelberg and and jordan endo right so those were and and so it's a way to get people competitive minutes and keep them match fit in order to go up to the first team particularly if the scheduling happens to work well like if the first team has a game on saturday and and you know you're basically flipping back and forth from the first team to the to the b team in this case so so there is an opportunity there and i agree with you like maybe they'll be more competitive and they won't be, you know, bottom dwellers uh, for the entire season. I, I, I suspect that at least next year, I find it hard to believe that they're going to challenge for a uh, um, for a playoff spot. But at the same time, like if you know they, they get a few more wins, particularly on the road, and you'd think that uh, that would be a win for them. Yeah, I would just hope to see some middle ground, though. I don't, I don't like that they're not developing players. You know, if they're just using this as a reserve kind of injury recovery. Uh, time off practice team. Well, right? well, think about well. You think about how some other B teams are, are used or have been used recently. And what you do is you see a bulk of the team ends up being academy players, but then you have three or four first team players that come down. So it's kind of like you have you know six or seven academy players and rising rising stars with a few more veteran players mixed in. And I think that that makes that makes a lot of sense. 
uh, to do it that way. I mean, think about think about Tucson in a way, right? Tucson was kind of you know four or five kind of experienced players, right? Guys like Devin Jamga and uh, um, uh, and Jordan Jones um, and uh, who's their center back? Um, man, my Kyle brain Edger. is. Oh yeah, Kyle Venter, perfect. Yeah, so so you know those guys were more experienced, but then you had you know a whole bunch of you know eighteen to twenty year olds as well, right? So that's that that's helping, um, helping uh, develop those players, and especially being able to play with some of the more experienced veterans like like Kyle. Yeah. Um, so a couple of players of the uh, player of the month, Carlos Gomez, as well as coach of the month, North Texas's Eric Quill. So Greenville both. Uh, so both finalists represented in the the coach of the month and the player of the month here. Um, I mean, you know, Eric Quill obviously could have been coach of the month almost every month, uh, except maybe August where they lost two, two matches. And Carlos Gomez with a hat trick and another couple of goals really got Greenville into the uh, into the playoffs there, particularly after Jake Keegan's injury. Yeah, and I 100 percent agree with Carlos Gomez. Definitely put the team on his back and did what he had to do to get Greenville into the playoffs and get them into the finals as well. But you know what? I think for Coach of the Month, I would give it to Daryl Shore. Um, I think that those last, you know, those five games, those last five games of the season that Ford went to uh, put themselves into the playoffs, and then even the playoff game that they had against North Texas, they were in it until the last 15 minutes. And so, you know, Eric Quill, like you said, he could have got it any month. Um they lost the Ford that third to last game of the season. Granted, there was a lot of rotation, but I don't know. I just North Texas wasn't playing for a lot at the end of the season. They had everything locked up. So I would have rather seen Daryl Shore get it for a team that, you know, had the chase to get into the playoffs. Yeah, and they had a six game unbeaten streak at the end of the season too. They were the hottest team going into the playoffs. So it, yeah. it didn't work out for them obviously against North Texas going down there. But uh but I I, I concur actually. I, I you know, you make a very compelling argument for, for Daryl Shore to to get it uh there. So shall we uh review the results of the weekend? How did we get to the final that will be held down in Frisco, Texas. I will be there along with a long-lost host who will be back on the show a little later tonight. The first game started at 7 p.m. Eastern time on Saturday. It was Lansing Ignite 0 versus the Greenville Triumph, who scored 1. This started with Boland started on the bench for Greenville. Pato was on the bench for Lansing. Um, both of those kind of surprised me. Right? So I have a little bit. So... Uh... So Weston Shelton of Capital Combustion had the inside on that, and Pato is nursing an injury um, and had to start on the bench. Had he, he, he pretty much said that he wouldn't have been able to start. So he, he was only you know healthy enough that where he could sub in and try to help out if they had to chase a goal. Well, that would make, that would make sense, yeah. particularly if you make it to the finals, because you would want Pato to hopefully start for you in the final, particularly if, if you were playing North Texas. Yeah. So, um, by the way, did Dallas J have his haircut last week? Because he he was high and tight. Uh, look at look at the fashion report from Ira Jersey. Hold, hold it, it was very second. distracting. I was like, who is that in goal for, for Greenville? Like, it what was... is? I didn't I didn't know that this was a new segment on the show. Let me go ahead and uh, cue up some music for you. Go ahead, Ira. Let's talk about his uh, haircut. <laughs> so so Dallas Jay's in goal. He has uh, I I don't know if you call it a mohawk exactly, but he had his he had a shaved uh, side of his head just above his ears, and uh, you know it was very. It's like like Aaron Long has. The, 
has been rocking the same haircut most of this season. I was a little bit, a uh, little bit, you know, surprised there for by Dallas Jay. I don't know if that, you know, helped distract some of the uh, uh, some of the Lansing players when they were trying to shoot or or whatever. You know, thinking, hey, that's a that's a handsome haircut right there. <laughs> So. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, the latest segment of our show that I didn't know we had. Ira Jersey with the with the fashion and look report. Thank you, Ira. <laughs> so uh, you know, m- maybe it helped him uh, play pretty well. He did have four saves on the night. He saw a lot of the ball. Um, you know, not it, it was some catches and some punches, but he uh, he did come up big as he usually does when whenever Greenville. Uh, takes a win. I mean, Cleveland on in the other net played pretty well. Also, obviously had a goal scored against them, but he also had three saves and uh, yeah, you know some acrobatic uh, some acrobatic stops there as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I I agree. I think uh, Cleveland had the busier. Or I, you know what? I won't even say that. I think that they both had equally busy days. Um, and I I don't think necessarily. They any of them had to make a spectacular out of this world save, but they were both consistent. Right. And that's what you need, especially in the playoffs. Um, no mistakes, no drops, uh, no, you know, bad giveaways to the point you're giving up a goal. Uh, and I think that's important for a keeper. Yeah. So some highlights, um, some highlights from this match. Why don't we talk about the first? I, I think you put this out on Twitter here in the 11th minute. There was a handball in the box. Uh, so it, it was a so Muhammad had a great run into Gomez, uh, who got it back to Muhammad. Muhammad takes a left-footed shot, and the ball hits a hand that was away from the body. And you know, from the camera angle, it was very, very obvious. But the referee had at least three players in front of him blocking his vision, and the assistant referee obviously didn't see it either. Um, you know, there's 23 people on the field, and the fact is, is a half of them were in the penalty area at the time. So I think just the ref didn't see it, or maybe he just didn't want to give a, a penalty so early in the match. But um, you know, for, for in my book, that that's a handball if it's seen. So you know, this is a, uh, um, you know, it was pretty obvious and flagrant, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't know how Lansing lost the hand the handy derby uh, just a week before <laughs> because that was definitely handy, uh, and and you can tell by the. Uh, the way the ball changes its movement, right? And so maybe, like you said, the ref just didn't see it in real time, but uh, definitely a missed call. Yeah, for sure. So in the 14th minute, um, also Moon was pulled down uh, just outside the box. Uh, there was no card given. I was pretty surprised about that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the ensuing free kick was not particularly good. Um, but yeah, yeah, the first 14 minutes, 20 minutes or so, everyone was, it was end to end. It really could have gone either way, yeah. uh, in, in the first 20 minutes it, or so. And props to Omar Muhammad, who I think really came out aggressive, uh, won two free kicks early, was the one who shot the ball that went off of Fricky's hand that should have been a PK. Uh, I thought he came out and was very impressive, very quickly, uh, knew that he had that, he was going to have that space and took it well. Were you surprised, particularly kind of after that frenzy in the first 15 or 20 minutes, were you surprised how much possession Greenville ended up having? I mean, Greenville ended up possessing the ball much more than I'm used to. You know, in the end, they wound up, you know, having the normal kind of 40 percent that they had. But for the second half of the first half, so from about the 20th to the 45th minute, they had a lot of the ball, whereas Lansing seemed to have very little rhythm. Um, and and like no form really in uh, for the for the second week in a row. I mean, you saw the same thing uh, the, the the week before in their loss to um, uh, who do they lose to forward right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, to, from their loss to forward. Um, but Greenville seemed 
pretty comfortable building up, which is not something that you know we see regularly from them. Yeah, and it, it was definitely, uh, like you said, just not really in in sync. There was no chemistry. You saw a lot of passes that were intercepted or would go out of bounds because players weren't on the same page. You saw a lot of heavy touches. Uh, just I'll give you an example. You know, Lansing, when we look at, for instance, uh, unsuccessful dribbles, right? Greenville for the whole game, I think, had six. And Lansing had that within the first 13 minutes of the game. Ugh. So, I mean, when you're when you're looking at it like that, you know, it just they they started off bad, and I think when that happens, um, I don't know. I just like you don't really recover, right? You you got to the halftime, and they had doubled that, so they they pretty much had you know ten. To, I think I'm sorry, eleven unsuccessful dribbles in the first half, and when you're you know not in sync at home after coming off of a loss, and maybe that two week break you know, really did do damage to them, right? Maybe they did lose some of that mojo that they had, you know, coming into that last game of the season as the hottest team in the league. Yeah, it it, it seems that way. But it's not that they didn't have their chances because in the first half they did outshoot Greenville. So Lansing had seven shots with two on target compared to Greenville who only had three shots and one on target. But, you know, it, it wasn't like Greenville was making desperate defensive plays and a lot of those shots, a lot of those seven shots were from – you know, pretty far out or really bad angles. So, um, but it, it was almost like desperation. Like Lansing felt, hey, we have to score and we have to score early. If we don't, you know, the longer this goes on, G- Greenville has a better shot. Yeah, absolutely. And just to correct myself, they they had just as many um, unsuccessful dribbles in the twenty third minute, not thirteen. Okay, but yeah. regard. I mean, yeah. if anything, was, yeah, the first the, the first yeah. quarter of the game, basically, yeah, yeah. pretty much. So another bad look, by the way. So before we get into the second half, which is where there was, I have my, my notes copiously increased for the second half. Um, the baseball field did not look particularly good. Today. No, not at yeah. all. And I don't, I don't know. There if was they, sand coming up when people yep. were dribbling and kicking the ball. Like uh, it was really, really poor. You know, for for an owner who has a city paying for that, you would think that he would help a little bit. But yeah, I don't know. So we go into the second half. Uh, the first five, ten minutes was pretty frenetic. Uh, there was a lot of back and forth, but not a lot of chances. Um, in the 55th minute, Lansing has a corner had a corner kick. Uh, Lansing, you know, you know, was just Lansing was just not crisp though, right? So they get the corner, but the, you know, the ball just kind of floats over everybody, and nobody gets on on the end of it. Um, meanwhile, Greenville built a, was able to build up and looked really, really good right after that. And the Lansing defense was, you know, they, they had to be pretty disciplined, but they, you know, and luckily they were at this point. But it wasn't long thereafter that uh, uh, that you know you wound up having them just get broken down. So do you want to talk through the goal? Because in the 59th minute, uh, in the 59th minute, Christian Bermudez uh, ended up scoring from a Carlos Gomez pass. So uh, do you want to take us through it or shall I? Yeah, I mean, a giveaway in the middle. Um, I'm not sure who was the one who set the ball to, um, I think it was, I'm trying to, in my notes I have, it was number six. So it was Klaus. Yeah. He's the one that gets the interception, gets the ball down the side, uh, and then Saul sends in Muhammad. Muhammad has all the space in the world because it's taking Lansing a while to recover. So Muhammad then 
uh, points out Carlos Gomez at the top of the box, which we've seen countless amount of times towards the end of the season, right? I think one thing that Greenville has done differently is in earlier in the season, when they get the ball in that space on the left side or the right side, they would cross the ball in. And I think one thing that, you know, Coach Harks has done and probably they've practiced is instead of crossing that ball in is putting it low to the ground at the top of the box where you have someone trailing, which is usually Carlos Gomez. So this time when Carlos Gomez gets the ball, Xavier Gomez and I believe it's Stoneman. I don't, I can't remember which defender it was. Um, both of them go to Gomez, which allows Chris Bermudez to have all the space open on the right side. So Gomez just puts it on a platter for him, and then Bermudez finishes it off like that, most that, talented yeah, players would. Yeah, that's right. Um, so both Fricky and, and uh, Fricky, both okay. Fricky, yeah, both Fricky and Stoneman go go toward him. I um I, I thought it was I thought uh, it was actually uh, Tyler Pollock who. Uh, uh, who put in the ball to Saul? But re- regardless of who it was, it was just a great passage of play. It was you know three really quick passes, and I agree with you. Like instead of just sending the ball across into like the you know corridor of uncertainty, as some people call it, being able to possess the ball in the middle like Gomez did here was key to this because basically by Gomez having the ball in the middle. You had to have Stoneman had to make a decision. Do I step to the ball or do I stay with Bermudez? And obviously, in hindsight, you say that he made the wrong decision. But had he not stepped to where he was, Gomez would have been able to shoot far post and, and uh, you know, not have been contested. Whereas if Gomez had shot there, probably would have been blocked by Stoneman. So, you know, it's one of these things where depending on who makes the right decision, you wind up getting a goal or you wind up with a block shot and maybe a counter going the other way. So, you know, great, great goal. The only goal Greenville needed because as we know Greenville is the best of uh, the best defensive team in the league so they get one goal like this and then the next thing you know they're gonna they didn't exactly bunker because they had a few more chances after this but but basically uh, I mean this this was all that they needed in fact in the second half they only had four shots uh, but three of them were on target so um, you know four shots three on target after uh, you know, even before and after this goal. So, yeah. so what did you think about the substitutes? Because there were no substitutes until after the goal in the 64th minute. Uh, Saul comes out for JJ Donnelly. So, kind of a like for like, right? Donnelly's not particularly more defensive than Saul, at least not that I've ever seen. But then in the, it, it's not until the 72nd minute that Nate Miller makes his first substitution, where he uh, uh, where he takes out Alex Bruce and he puts in Kyle Carr. So was was that you know firstly w- was that the right substitution? Secondly, was that too late? Like he you know why didn't he start substituting almost right after the goal to try and get more uh, more offensive threat in there? Yeah, and that's where I wonder how hurt Pato was because that's when you would usually see a 60 minute Pato sub, and we didn't even get that till the 80th minute. But I also look at who was on their bench, and they didn't really have an offensive spark, right? Unless you wanted to go with, you know, Celso St. Duke, who hasn't played, you know, in I don't know how many months. They really didn't have anyone that they can bring on there that can, bring, you know, give an offensive spark, right? You can bring on Reese Williams, but then who are you taking off, right? Because you need Nick Moon out there. You need your backs out there. So, yeah, I don't know. And I know Carr has been that substitute, um, and he was the one that came in the 72nd minute to supply, you know, some offensive, uh, I guess, distribution. But I just don't see it for him. I just – it it makes me – we've talked about all year about how many offensive players Lansing had and, you know, how – deep their depth was and so it's kind of ironic that the last game you know in the playoffs when they needed it the most they didn't really have anyone that they can bring on off of the bench to bring offensive spark 
Yeah, so as you mentioned, in the 81st minute, uh, Reese Williams comes in for uh, for, for Fricky, and uh, and then Pato came in for for Serta. Um, in the 84th minute, uh, you know, uh, Greenville brought in uh, Boland for Muhammad, which is you know, you know, kind of interesting that Boland wasn't playing. I wonder if he was a little bit injured too. But Omar Muhammad, like you mentioned, had a really really good game and was might have been the man of the match for me. Um, but Boland came in and Bermudez came off in injury time, and I think that was just a time wasting sub. More oh than yeah, anything. there's a lot of, lot of cramps but, going on. And yeah, last, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gr- Greenville didn't know how to play in the cold. Right, right. <laughs> which was, which was the problem. So they didn't hydrate enough for the cold. Right. Uh, but uh, so you know, great, great game for Greenville. I mean, no one can uh, you you cannot doubt uh, John Harks and his team, given what they did. I mean, passing accurate their passing accuracy was horrendous. They only had six total chances. They had had to make fifteen clearances. They but they did have eleven interceptions. They were only one for ten for crosses, but doesn't matter because the fact is Greenville Triumph are going to North Texas and they were the only team to beat North Texas in North Texas over the season. So, you know, good on them. Uh, they stayed defensively sound and they put it through. So yep. any, and, uh, uh, so, so the, the one last thing that I want to say, Jason, before your final thoughts is I thought Evan Lee and Kevin Pollitz had fantastic matches. I was just um, about to say, I think Pollitz, he did it. He did the damn thing. I think he, uh, did exactly what he had to do. I think that Greenville, in particular, really, really good at keeping their shape. Uh, Kevin Koifik, right, who I had mentioned was a player to watch. He did what he was supposed to do, and I, you know, he he was successful on his long balls. He created chances. Um, you know, he had just he for example, eighteen of twenty six accurate long balls, two chances created, won eleven of a his 15 ground duels and want eight of his 10 aerial duels. So he did what he had to do, but and spread the field, but Greenville was able to keep their form, keep that shape and not allow Lansing to really get into too many dangerous situations. Like a lot of key passes, but they all result in the final third of just decent shots, right? No real great shots or great chances. Yeah, I mean, both teams, uh, so, you know, both teams only had uh, one big chance each. So, and Lansing did have one, and, and Dallas J had to come up big, and, and late in the yeah, game, he had a catch very and late I will where say Lansing could have, could have tied it up. That I, I, when I say a keeper didn't make, you know, didn't have to make that great of a spectacular save, I do remember that one. And also, there was one in the 28th minute. I think it was a long ball from Koifik that goes to Rafa. And Dallas J makes the decision to come out. Rafa heads the ball, and Dallas J gets just enough of a fingertip on it to redirect the ball so it doesn't go in because it looks like that header was going to float over Jay, and he gets a fingertip in, and that was a big save. So I take that back. I think Jay really Jay did have at least one or two spectacular saves, and he should. He's the the Golden Glove winner, right? <laughs> So let's go on to our second semifinal before we uh, we pause to bring in our special guest for the evening. Saturday night, 8 o'clock. So as you were watching on two screens, you saw the first half of our second semifinal while you were watching the second half of the first one. It was North Texas scored two, forward Madison zero. 
both Pepe and Damus starting for North Texas. We haven't seen that for, I want to say, about eight weeks or so. Uh, so Damus was apparently back from the Haitian national team. Uh, if he ever went, it was a little bit unclear. Uh, but anyway, he was back. Uh, Maurer started in goal for North Texas. Avales was on the bench. Was this a good look, Jason? I mean, so Maurer only played five games all season. Avales got them here. He played 20. So, yeah. you know. I mean, Maurer had some big saves, right? And they apparently he didn't use his hands at all. I think they all came off of his chest or his stomach. Um, but yeah, maybe they just went with the more experienced keeper in the big game, right? And I think, you know, I, I, it's one of those things to where, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, when you look at the players that were available, we know that FC Dallas is going to be playing this week, so other t- players might not be available that were available for them this week. Maybe it was their chance to, okay, let's get us in the championship game, and then, you know, Avalos or whoever can prove their worth in the championship game. One other interesting fact here, Arturo, this was Arturo Rodriguez's 29th match of the season. He has played in every single match for North Texas. In fact... He's played for 2,511 minutes out of a possible 2,610. By higher Mm. math than I can do on my fingers, that means he's only missed 99 minutes all season. So, I mean, this man is, you know, he's not quite the uh, the Iron Man, but he's as close as you can get. Without I wonder if we have any Iron, Iron Men in League One. You know what? I didn't look. Uh, I should have after I saw this statistic, but uh, my, my guess is not because yeah. I think some of the guys who might have, like Stoneman and, and uh, um, uh, shoot, Josh Phelps, I think those guys played in every game, but but they both got red cards at different times, so mm. so they would have missed at least a portion of, of a match and, and had a had to take a uh, um, had to take a sabbatical for a game. <laughs> so uh, so l- maybe we can go a little bit chronologically here, Jason, if that's okay with you. Um, okay. Just just looking, you know, firstly, uh, you know the well, let's start in the 17th minute because this was Madison's best chance. So in the 17th minute, uh, Madison uh, the the ball uh, the ball is at the corner of the penalty area and uh, from a nice through ball from JC banks and, um, uh, and Bennett gets the ball and he beats Montgomery. Uh, He's closed down by two other players, but he's still able to get a touch uh, toward goal. Uh, He shoots left footed, but Jimmy Maurer makes himself really big. And like you said, you know, it like bounced off of Jimmy Maurer's chest and winds up back toward the corner flag. So, um, you know, best chance easily, you know, 17th minute that easily could have been, uh, could have been a goal. And, and Bemet, you know, after this didn't, didn't look that threatening really. Um, So did you have, you know, you have anything kind of from, Madison's viewpoint from the first half. Jason? Yeah, and I don't, I don't think what Bemmett didn't. I don't. I think offensively, maybe when it came to shooting, Bemmett didn't look too uh, threatening after that. But I thought he played a pretty good game, right? I thought that he did things as far as maybe not with the shooting, uh, but he created four or five chances on his own, um, and especially was you know uh, the beginning of the second half was. Really Really impactful for them. He did well holding up the ball. Um, so I, I actually think that he played a decent game. I just think the issue is uh, he's more of one of those hold-up players. He's more of a support player, right? I, I don't think 
you know, that was beneficial in this game. Unfortunately, I think, you know, Tenario, even though, you know, he was hurt, so it was unfortunate he couldn't play. I think that's the kind of player that they needed, though, against uh, North Texas. So so was it that that Don Smart and Paolo Jr. didn't have a good game that you think? Well, remember, Don Smart didn't come in until the— Yeah, he didn't come in until much later. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, which is another issue. Yep. So, and I think I, that was that was one of the things I was going to bring up. I think it was similar to Pato, to where he was injured and was on some. Hey, I can play if our season's on the line and there's ten minutes left, but that's all I can give. Um, and so I think that that messes up a lot of the rotation, right? Because then it's like, okay, do you put Paulo Junior up top? Well, if you put Paulo Junior up top, then that means that Nunez has to come and be more of a creator instead of helping out with Leonard. And Leonard needs that help when you're playing a team against North Texas. Um, and so I, I think it was a tough decision, right? White hasn't played, you know, in a, in a couple weeks. So do you bring him in after he hasn't played and after Ben, you know, Ben? Um, uh, Bennett played extremely well against um, Lansing the week before. So, yeah, I think it was a tough situation for Coach Shore. And I think Bennett did what he does well. I just think that they needed someone who was a more consistent scorer. Yeah. Well, and in the 52nd minute, so early in the second half, you, you saw that again, where there was some great uh, forward Madison interplay in the box. There were a couple of one-twos. J.C. Banks, I think, was involved. And, you know, Bemmett gets on the end of it and just, you know, couldn't finish. He's just not clinical. I yep. mean, that's, you know, kind of like, you know, the, some of the problems that Greenville had earlier in the season. They got into great positions and just couldn't finish. It also, J.C. Banks was also playing just behind the front three. And he, you know, w- was not really crashing into the box. So that was something tactical that I was a little bit nervous about for um, uh, for forward Madison, that if J.C. Banks got too far forward, mm-hmm. that there would be too much space behind him and you'd allow North Texas to, to you know to tiki taka basically all the way up the up the pitch and and I think you know quite frankly I think forward did a very good job with their spacing and with their defensive cover while they were attacking but because of that instead of having five or six people into the attack they wound up only having three or four and I think that might be one of the reasons why they were uh, you know they, they they had a fair number of chances I mean I, I mean at the end of the day they had nine total chances but they weren't uh, they, they weren't as many as maybe they could have had had they. Uh, you know, press more numbers forward. Yep. Um, yeah. And Paulo Jr. with one shot for the whole game, and it was blocked, and the shot came from, I don't know, 30 yards out. Uh, just, yeah, J.C. Banks had three. Um, Nunez had three. It, it was just, like I said, they, they needed a consistent score. They needed someone that they can get the ball to and just had a knack for goal. You know, someone like, uh, I don't know, Ricardo Pepe. <laughs> because in the 76th minute... Uh, so John Nelson gets the ball down on the left touch line, about 40 yards from the end line. He drives toward the center and Arturo Rodriguez makes this inside run kind of in front of Nelson. So Nelson could have laid it off to, uh, uh, to Arturo Rodriguez, which you've seen multiple times this year, right? You've, you see it almost every game, but instead he doesn't because there's tons of space left in front because two players end up, uh, two defenders end up following Arturo Rodriguez instead. So Nelson keeps on driving uh, toward the middle. He does a one-two with Oscar Romero, um, who uh, who just came in the game like two minutes before. Nelson touches the ball to Pepe. Pepe's actually kind of dribbling across the top of the 18, but then makes a cutting shot back across goal to the back to the near post, and uh, it kind of it 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 does 
doesn't take a single deflection or anything, winds up passing about five other players, and that's it. It's side netting, and Ricardo Pepe gets on the score sheet. And if there was a secondary or MLS or hockey assist, whatever you want to call it, Romero would have gotten that, you know, getting involved very early. Ricardo Pepe does what Ricardo Pepe does and scores. First and foremost, we, we need to we need to put some respect on Oscar Romero's name because up until that point, while North Texas dominated possession and had chances, they they didn't really have a clear like it wasn't like, oh, you know a goal was coming, right? I think Romero subbed in and changed the dynamic of that game. And when you look at that ball, when you look at that play, first and foremost, props to Cirillo with the forty yard bomb. Um, I think though you know, Romero, when that ball comes to him, it's him and Connor Tobin that have to fight over it at the top of the box. And Connor Tobin is 6'2", 180. <laughs> and, you know, Oscar Romero is, is 5'10", 155, you know, wet, right? And so for him to not only beat Connor to the spot, but then to box him out, you know, like Matumbo, it was great to see. And so, no, that I consider that an actual assist. I don't care about MLS assists. Give him that assist because he got to the spot, he boxed it out, he was able to get the ball back to Pepe, and then Pepe did we what he had to do. And so, props to Romero. I thought he came off the bench uh, and really changed the dynamic of the game. He was only out there for 17 minutes. And had two assists, if you count that one, which I'm going to, uh, 14 to 17 accurate passes, two crosses, and two chances created. Those are the type of players that you need in the playoffs uh, when you've been even dominating the whole game but haven't been able to put the ball in the back of the net. So I think one of the things that that happened, like I noted, both you had both Ronaldo Damas as well as Ricardo Pepe in there, and they tried to interchange. And I think there was some confusion as who was supposed to be playing in the nine and who was supposed to be playing wider because yeah. they did try and interchange, and it kind of didn't work. And I think putting in Oscar Romeo, uh, Romero was – uh, what was kind of key to having their normal-ish positions the way that they've played, right? Because both Pepe and Damus basically have been nines. Yes, Damus has played on the wing now and again, but generally speaking, I think that that each of them are are proper strikers and need to be up top, whereas you know, Oscar tends to be more of a facilitator. And the second goal, which happened just in two minutes later, I think is a perfect example of this, right? So he gets on the score sheet properly without, you know, the secondary assist, but the play starts actually with a big switch from Thomas Roberts, who, by the way, Thomas Roberts is probably like the unsung hero for North Texas this game. He had the, like, I don't remember... Maybe we mentioned him sometime before because he got an assist or a goal or two, but I don't remember giving him props like like he deserves for this match because he was everywhere. He made you know tons of accurate passes, and you know this the, just the vision that he had to make this big switch from the left side of the field to the right, uh, find Cirillo on the right touch line. Cirillo makes a great pass down the line to Oscar Romeo. Uh, Romero. Why do I want to? Say <laughs> I don't know. Uh, to, to Romero, and uh, and and Romero's then in an acre of space, right? And he's able to cross the ball right to the penalty spot where Ricardo, Ricardo Pepe does what Ricardo Pepe does, and basically just gingerly heads the ball into the side netting. Um, you know, I I don't have any stats on on Thomas for the game uh, for Thomas Roberts on the game, but. You know, man, the guy was all over the place, and uh, you know he, he's probably been solid all season, but he's just been overshadowed by guys like Arturo Rodriguez and uh, uh, Damus and Pepe. And I, I've got one for you for him. So he had 58 passes, and only seven of them were not uh, connected. 
Right. So he had 88-ish passing percentage. Yeah, that's yeah. that's solid for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, better than the whole team. Uh, I will say um, what you're saying. I 100% agree about Damis and Romero. I and I also think Romero is a better crosser and passer. Right. So if Damis is in the game. You have to. Damus probably has to take that down the side and pushes it back to the top of the box, or he tries to take it himself. Uh, I think Romero's more comfortable with passing, and that's why you got that cross. And with Pepe, again, just showing, you know, for him to be so young and for him to time that perfectly, to make the run one direction and then go back the other direction, it freezes, who I think is Connor Tobin again, just enough to where Tobin looks over his shoulder, realizes Pepe is going the other direction, and by that time it's too late, right? Pepe has a step on you, so then it just becomes, you know, can he finish the header, and he does. So one of the I, I'm just I just like to go through a couple of interesting statistics here and and you know some of these aren't the trash ones but uh, but forward Madison had 24 interceptions in this game I mean most games don't even have 24 total interceptions and they had 24 themselves so you know they they were clearly trying to disrupt the passing patterns of uh, North Texas they just you know at the end of the day weren't successful forward had tried 21 crosses only connected with one. Um, they, they did have 10 shots, five were on target and, you know, props to Silvestre because this easily could have been four nil. So mm-hmm. Silvestre made two very acrobatic saves, one very late in the match, but, but one very early, I, I think when it was, it was still nil nil when he made, made the first one. Um, so, you know, he, he really, you know, if you had to pick a Madison man of the match, I think it would have to be Silvestre. Yeah. And it's just one of those things is like, you can interrupt. You know, North Texas is passing, but they pass the ball 635 times. How much do you want to interrupt? At some <laughs> point, you have to have the ball, right? At some point, you have to cap possession and have some kind of attack and put some kind of pressure on them. I think the difference between this game and the game against Lansing was they put pressure on Lansing. They didn't put any pressure on North Texas. I think maybe they thought they were going to win the ball in the middle and create counters from then, and I just don't think it happened, especially in the second half, right? So... Um, you know, props to North Texas with their passing. All right. Anything else on this semifinal? Uh, no. Put some respect on uh, Oscar Romero's name, man. He he did so much in 17 minutes. Uh, he changed the game. When we come back, we'll have an old friend with us to review our preseason picks, see how we did, and also preview the USL League One final. Stay with us. Registration is now open for the 2020 United Soccer Coaches Convention in Baltimore. Make your plans to join us January 15th through the 19th for five days of coaching education, networking, meal and social functions, award presentations, and more. Register before December 11th to secure the best rate. Visit unitedsoccercoachesconvention.org to learn more. The United Soccer Coaches Convention, your event for all things coaching. Welcome back to League One Fun. Joining Jason and I is an old friend. You know him as the host of Yeah, That Soccer Show from Greenville, South Carolina. From the upstate, it's Chris Ashley. Chris, welcome back. Thanks. Always happy to be on League One Fun as a as an L1F OG. Uh, happy to be back here and, and maybe uh, think about some of the 
predictions made at the beginning of the season and look at how embarrassing those are, not just to Ira, but to, uh, <laughs> to myself as well, I'm sure. Well, I, I know most of mine will be very embarrassing. Actually, some of them aren't so embarrassing, but a few of them are due. Nah, they're pretty embarrassing. <laughs> oh, come on. Hey, I had Chattanooga making the playoffs. They came in fifth. Come on, give me a break. Uh, okay, but first, before we do that, there was something going on at 7 p.m. Eastern Time down in Frisco, Texas, Toyota Stadium. There's actually going to be supporters there. There's going to be a watch party for FC Dallas in the afternoon, and then a lot of those guys are going to wind up coming uh, and staying for the USL League One final. Chris Ashley and Ira Jersey will both be there. Jason, unfortunately, I think can't. But, no. you know, he'll be there in spirit, I am sure. It'll be North Texas hosting the Greenville Triumph. So let's do it this way. Jason, you're going to be on the clock for about three minutes to preview North Texas, what they have to do to break down the best defense in the league with their best offense. And then we'll turn things over to Chris. And Chris, you'll tell us how the best defense is going to make sure you stop the most potent offense and sneak a goal in uh, that uh, just like you did against Lansing last week. So, Jason, why don't I pass things over to you first? Yeah. So, you know, Lance, I mean, with uh, North Texas, it's going to be interesting because I don't think we're going to be seeing the same lineup we saw against Ford. I think with FC Dallas being in a playoff game the very next or that day. Uh, we might not see Ricardo Pepe. We might not see, you know, Mar. We might not see Montgomery even. We who knows who we're going to see, right? And so because of this, we're going to have a different lineup. We don't know if Ronaldo Davis is going to be there or if he ends up going to the Haitian team. So I think what this game is going to come down is to who has the more talented players. And I think the way that North Texas can win this game is beating players one-on-one and putting Greenville in bad positions. And you saw a little bit of Lansing do that against Greenville uh, earlier this year when they played. Um, And even last week, you saw, you know, Nick Moon drawing fouls. You saw Rafa drawing a bunch of fouls, Toomey drawing fouls, and really kind of putting Greenville in those positions to where they had to make choices or if they didn't foul, you know, they, they might be letting a goal or a counter build up. And I think especially down the sides, that's where Lansing found success. So whoever's going to play those wings, whether it's Danzo, whether it's um, Dante Seely, whether it's uh, Ronaldo Damas, whoever is playing those sides is going to have a big day. We all know Arturo Rodriguez is going to have a big day. Um, you know, with his speed, I don't. I think he's going to dominate down the line, and I think it's going to take individual talent for North Texas to really get past Greenville because their defense is too organized. I don't think they're they're going to be able to build up in the passing and have success in the final third that North Texas usually does. So yeah, I think it's going to come down to who can have those one-on-one situations and make Greenville pay for it. Where do you think, Jason, just really quick before we turn things over to Chris, how do you think the back line for North Texas is likely to play here? Will Breck Evans and his guys you know, really push forward and stay uh, and, and leave a lot of space in behind for some of the green for Greenville to attack into? Or do you think that maybe they'll play a little bit, uh, you know, kind of wider and allow the allow the midfield battle to really yep. take place, but keep Greenville in front of them? I think they're going to invite Greenville, right? I think they know that Greenville is defensively sound. And so I think and their back line, especially, you know, with Breck, Breck's one of the best passers on that team. He might be the best passing center back in the league. Um, and so I think they're going to just possess the ball and 
want Greenville, invite them in, and then they do, like you said, try to win those battles in the midfield. And like I said, you know, have a one-on-one on the side and have Arturo Rodriguez try to beat his man down the field. And then whether it's Romero up top or Damis or whoever, have them finish off a potential cross. I, I think that, you know, it's going to be a game to where Greenville, you know, they've been pressing well the past couple of weeks. I wonder if they decide the press against North Texas because, or if they don't, North Texas might just be passing the ball back and forth and then waiting on a chance for a brilliant moment from one of their players. Great. Chris, a team that you've been supporting all year, you have their gear and their kit. What do they have to do to beat the juggernaut that is North Texas Soccer Club? Well, I got to get on uh, I got to get on Jason a little bit for uh, not doing his research, but Ricardo Pepe 100% will not be with North Texas. Uh, oh, yeah, there was so an be with the U17. That's right. Oh, with the U17. with the U17. That's right. Yeah, so the really, the bigger <laughs> question is Ronaldo Damas, but Ronaldo Damas as far as we know um, has not gotten an MLS contract and they're past the deadline. So so my, my guess is Damas will be there because the the international window ended um, uh, ended I think on today actually. Well, so, I'm referring to the Nations League because it was rumored that he had got called up by Haiti to play in the Nations League game. So that's why I don't. Oh know right, okay, yeah, and that would be this coming week, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, regardless of that, we'll see what happens, but uh, it definitely won't be the same team that came out on the field. So, here's here's uh, my thought for Greenville. First, you know, it starts defensively for that team. Dallas J, obviously the Golden Glove winner for the league. He is uh, he's solid back there, and the back line has been solid. Um, here's why I think Greenville has a chance to go into Toyota stadium and get a victory. They're the only team in league one this year to go in and take three points off of Dallas in to- or off of North Texas in Toyota stadium. They're the only team to go into Toyota stadium twice and not lose. So they're undefeated away down in Frisco. The history is on their side. And I, here's the thing that I was interested in watching the Madison North Texas game. I think Madison and Greenville play very similarly uh, in a lot of ways defensively. And to see that uh, to see that Madison was able to really hold North Texas back for most of that match. And then, of course, Pepe comes in late with two goals. It, it was encouraging for me as a Greenville fan. So I think I think defensively you're going to see Greenville come out a lot of the same way they did against Lansing. They're going to play very defensive, defensive first, which is not something they've done all year, but it was, uh, they looked a little different last week against Lansing. And I think they're, they're going to take that same approach because you have guys like Max Hemmings and Jake Keegan, who won't be available to play, uh, with injury. It, it was good to see JJ Donnelly come back and play several minutes, Last week, I think he may get the start. His hold-up play since he's joined the team has been very, very good. Um, I think having him up top is going to be a huge strength for Greenville. And I'm going to keep my eye on my guy, Chris Gomez. Or not Chris, Carlos Gomez. I think he's going to be the difference maker. I think if uh, I think if North Texas invites Greenville in, that's going to be dangerous because they've been – They've been able to take advantage of those attacking spaces without giving up too much defensively, and uh, I think that's what I think that's what I'm going to be looking for down there on the sideline as I'm cheering them on on Saturday night. So, who, Chris, would you think? You know, one of the things about Ford Madison is defensively. When you say that they have uh, they have a similar defense, is they play their back four. 
but they keep Eric Leonard uh, as their central defensive midfielder, and he almost always stays back. And he doesn't. He basically guards the line, or he shifts over to kind of cover the touch line where uh, where one of the fullbacks might be pressing forward. Who does that for for you guys? Because you know, is it is it Chloe's? Is it like because I? It seems to me that like a lot of your midfield often you know tries to get up into the attack and there's not necessarily anyone holding. Is is Aaron Walker the guy who ends up staying back? Who who's that that like linchpin in the middle? That midfield destroyer that um, that that you know that you guys have. Yeah, I think it just depends. Um, I, I think it, it can be a couple of different guys. I think Paul Klaus is one, and I think Aaron Walker probably, to me, is the guy I would lean to and say he does it on a more consistent basis. He's a guy that's uh, he's not afraid to push up and take shots, but the goals you've seen him get this year and the shots you've seen him take have been from way outside the box. He's not a guy that's rushing up trying to open up opportunities to score. He's not looking for that. He is... He's really, and, and I think it, you've seen it over the over the season. You know, Tyler Pollock started the year pretty consistently, consistently with the captain's armband, and here towards the end of the season, Aaron Walker's really gotten that honor more often than Tyler. And I think part of that is because he has such a command there in the midfield. He plays honestly. Uh, Aaron Walker reminds me a lot of of a Michael Bradley type. He's not exclusively holding up. And, and and playing very defensively, but he does a really great job at that. Um, and then looks for opportunities to be offensive when he can. But you have Paul. If Paul and Aaron are both in there, I think you'll see a lot of the two of them kind of rotating defensive responsibilities. They they play well off of each other. So it, it could be a, a couple of those guys. But I also think it it, it goes further back with Evan Lee and uh, Kevin Pollitz. Those two guys have such a good lockdown there in the box that. You, you're not solely reliant on that holding midfielder, but those two, I think uh, Klaus and Walker, the two guys are going to step in and, and be defensive if they need to be. Thanks, Chris. Jason, any last thoughts about the inaugural USL League One final? I can see this game going in the extra time at 1-1, but don't let Chris tell you who's going to win it in extra time because he's going to tell you the wrong team. <laughs> so so just to and just remember if everyone knows the spicy take that jason had about the semifinals was that both matches would go into extra time so uh, uh, this, i don't i have audio of it i have audio <laughs> he doesn't, doesn't get off clean me. for his 3-1 prediction that lansing was going to be greenville in his write-up on, on the official usl league one website <laughs> at really? trash take Granted, I don't think anyone had Greenville winning uh, the way they did. So, you know, don't don't just bring me down. We're, we're terrible as a people. 23% of people had North Texas and Greenville in their bracket challenge. So, wow. you know, that's a, a lot of Greenville people participate in that bracket challenge. Congratulations. Hey, at least was, well, never mind. <laughs> All kidding. right. So let's make fun of ourselves and review some of our preseason predictions Jason, why don't you start with uh, whatever was first on your list? Yeah, so for those who you know may have joined League One Fun uh, midseason or lately, at the very beginning of the season before a uh, game had even been played, uh, Chris, Ira, me, and Mark uh, had all made predictions, uh, team predictions, player predictions, and so we're going to go through and talk about some of these predictions now that we're at the uh, last game of the season. So I will start as a team. We are collaborative uh, averages. So 
for the best offense, we as a team had Lansing number one, Chattanooga number two, North Texas number three, and Greenville number four. That's not that bad. I think we did okay with that. You know, Chattanooga obviously being the, the outlier, but I think the rest of them are, are pretty pretty spot on, right? Yeah, that's not too bad. Yeah, I, I mean, feel okay about that. Yeah, Greenville, you know, they, they don't have that much offense, but, but you know, because of their defense, they don't need it. So I'm okay with that. Here's where, you know, things get a little dicey. So as a team uh, for our average defense, we had Chattanooga as number one, Tucson as number two, Greenville as number three, and Richmond as number four. Ugh. So, yeah, that's not looking good. The one thing we did say is that Lansing would give up a bunch of goals. Um, but let's break it down, you know, uh, to individuals. So, Ira, when we talked about the best offense, you actually said North Texas had the potential of having the best and the prettiest offense in the league. And you expected, you expected them uh, to uh, have the second best offense in the league. So, congratulations. Well, there's a tick mark there, finally. Got something yeah, right. Mark had them as the fourth best, which isn't bad, but he had Chattanooga's offense as the best based on scoring them more goals than North Texas. So uh, not not the greatest take. Uh, Chris, with your defense, you praised Greenville, and you said that they'd have the best goalkeeping. So take take a go ahead, take a bow, you. pat yourself thank on you, the back, you. you know, give yourself a high five. You deserve it. But your boy over here, uh, Jason said that Tyler Pollock was going to be Greenville's most important player. Chris, do you agree that he is the most important player? Uh, I think he is an important player. It, I don't know that I would say he is the most important player. I, I, you know, it's hard, it's hard to not say Dallas J is the most important player just based on his stat line and, and obviously a lot of the plaudits, but even on that back line, man, I'm I'm kind of a Kevin Pollitt stan. I think that dude, like, he is so he's such a sneaky good player that goes really unnoticed there in that center back pairing. And uh I don't I don't know that I would say he's better or more important than Tyler Bullock, but uh that whole defense defensive unit as a whole, I think, is is really top notch. So I don't I don't I don't give you too much grief for that. Okay. Uh Mark had Tucson as the best defense, um, or as I think he had him at two at defense. But in his defense, and we forget about this, Tucson started the season with both Ledbetter and Wakasa on their back line, and then they both end up going to Phoenix Rising. So had they had stayed and you had a back line of, you know, Venter, Wakasa, and Ledbetter, they very might have been the second best defense in the league. Yeah, and that's one of the challenges with having a lot of two teams. Like, if we were to do something like this next season with potentially even more, you know, MLS and and two teams in the league, it's going to be harder and harder to do that, right? Like, how do you know what kind of consistency you're going to have in in rosters, even if you look at it? So you can say, based on this roster, you, you know, we're going to have a very good season. But if that roster, you know, half of that roster turns over, um, that's going to be really difficult. Well, yeah, well, case, in, case in case in point with that, I, I I was working on an article earlier today previewing the final, and uh, if you go to North Texas's roster page, they have 35 people on the roster. Greenville has 23, and two of those guys are academy contracts. They didn't sign until September. So, 
you know, with the two teams, you're going to have a lot more availability, a lot more rotation, which I think has, I think has plus and minus, but it makes it incredibly unpredictable in terms of preseason rankings and, and picks in terms of how players are going to do. Cause honestly, if a, if a player like a Ricardo Pepe is lighting up the league or a Mason toy, who's playing really well, they're going to get called, called up to, to their, uh, their parent team. Yeah. So unfortunately though, for Ira, his best defense, he could not really uh, put on a two-team as an excuse. Uh, I think he... You it was know, probably he, Richmond, right? Oh, yes. It yes, was my it home, was. My, my homerism <laughs> got in my way. Yes, it was. And so uh, not not the greatest prediction. Uh, we talked about best culture. Our averages was Ford, Lansing, Greenville, and then a tie between Chattanooga and Tormenta. I say that's on par if you give Tormenta number four. Um uh, best overall, ladies and gentlemen, here's where it gets a uh, gets a little uh, spicy, gets a little separated. So overall, we had Lansing, Greenville, we had Chattanooga and Fort tied, and you know for the third slash fourth position, and then we had Richmond, which isn't that bad when you looked at the preseason roster. But we had North Texas as an average at seventh place in the league. We should all be ashamed of ourselves. <laughs> Every single last one of us, but yeah, maybe but, not as much got, as maybe not as much idea. as you, Come Chris. You, because... you have to rem- you have to remember that North Texas. When we made these predictions, North Texas literally didn't have a roster; like they had barely been announced as a team. Yeah, but yeah, they didn't even have a coach. <laughs> yeah, but Chris, you know who did have a team, and the team that you said would be the best team in the oh, league. I know, I know who said. I South know who I said Georgia. would win. Tormenta. <laughs> and I maintain and I maintain that if they did not battle the injury bug really heavy midseason, I think I think you'd have seen them in the playoffs. They yeah, you know, I, I, I think they're a team that really a, a couple injuries away from from being in the playoffs. And if they're in the playoffs, you know, based on the way they finished the season playing Greenville at home, I would not want to see them if 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 I'm any of these teams that are in the playoffs with them. So well, yeah, I mean, I Tormenta. Come on, in fairness, Tormenta was right there until about the last uh, about the last six seven weeks, right? And oh, you know, oh, they, they they had they had a, a weak spell, and then they obviously had uh, um, they they lost um, uh, they lost someone to a head injury, right? So yeah, I mean, those are kind of things that you can't do. But that being said, you know, we didn't know any of these teams. Let's face it; like we, like we had an idea about some of the players, but but we really didn't know them as units. So. Um, you know, they were guesses, let's face it. Well, it's funny you bring that up, Ira, because, you know, uh, a certain person that's speaking right now said that Tormenta was going to be the best team in the first half of the year. It was pretty much spot on with that. You, however, said that Tormenta would start the season going (laughs) (laughs) 0-5. Well, so I was wrong. Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) A little bit. And uh, so keeping on the wrong thing, I said that the best overall team uh, would be Lansing. So, and, you know, props to, to them. They weren't the worst. They, they weren't the best. They might have been the most entertaining. But, Chris, since we're talking about wrong, uh, you know, the, you, Twitter might not remember, but I certainly do. Uh, July 31st, you had a certain uh, – Spicy take that Lansing was only going to earn 8.5 points <laughs> yeah. for the rest of the season. 
Uh, do you want to take a guess how many points they won? It was uh, it, it was significantly more than that. I, I know that was a bad take. You had tweeted that, and an hour later they had began a six-game win streak and ended up with 19 points. Well, to be fair, I had counted that that game that they won that day in that point total. I just didn't think they were gonna. I thought I thought a lot of the teams down the stretch that were that were in playoff contention that they were playing. We're gonna play with a little more fire than they did, and and you know I I had more faith in the Red Wolves than they had themselves, I suppose. Yes, you did. <laughs> Which takes us to our Golden Boot predictions. Mark had Zaid, which. Granted, was not a bad pick had he had played more than five games. He pretty much scored in all the games that he played. Um, and he might prop- have had best goals per 90. <laughs> yeah, and but props to him. He called Pepe uh, saying that Pepe would originally be his golden boot pick, but because he was going to be playing with FC Dallas. So, yes, Mark was the one that predicted that Pepe would sign with FC Dallas this season and would play with them. He said that he went with Zaid instead because he knew Pepe would miss probably half of the season. He didn't Chris, realize Pepe was going to play more than Zaid. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I don't think any of us did, right? Uh, Chris, no. it's, speaking of players who did not play, do you happen to remember who your golden boot prediction was? I have no clue. <laughs> you had predicted Steve St. Duke. Oh, that's right. That's right. And he looked he, really good in preseason. I mean, in did. fairness. I mean, he did. I think we were all high on him. Ira, you probably, out of all of us, had the best prediction. You went with Ricardo Pepe. And uh, I'm not going to talk about mine because it's very embarrassing. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to say it. I, uh, and Chris Chris called it from the jump that it was a bad one. I had said uh, Daniel Jackson was going to be the Golden Boot winner. Uh, not great. Well, had uh, Gallardo passed the ball to him more, he might have. Maybe, yeah, maybe. And we'll, we'll get on that later. Um, we then predicted the wooden spoon. All of us had Orlando City V, except for one of us. Uh, Chris, you want to guess who the one person it was? I guess it was me. It wasn't. Oh. You had Orlando City V last okay. place, too. It was uh, none other than Ira Jersey. Uh, <laughs> Ira who, did I, who did I have? You had Toronto FC 2. Okay. Well, they were in eighth. Come on. I mean, Yes. <laughs> But you did redeem yourself because we picked our dark horse team, and Ira, North Texas, was your dark horse team. Oh, there you go. Me and Chris had Tucson as our dark horse team. I'm sorry, Chris and uh, Mark had Tucson's as their dark horse teams. I had Tormenta, uh, which wasn't a dark horse to Chris because, as a reminder, Chris had them winning everything. Uh, we, we then picked our surprising players of the league, uh, players that we thought weren't getting a lot of buzz who would come out and surprise us. Mark had said Alex Bruce. Uh, Chris, you had said Andrew Wheeler Amanu for Tucson, which is not that bad of a pick. Um, at least right. it's better than Ira's, who said Hastings <laughs> West of Toronto <laughs> FC2. <laughs> Hard to be a surprising player when you are not playing <laughs> very Surprise. often. He played yes. a little bit, didn't he? He, he did. He looked yeah, good the last uh, two games of the year. With yeah. I think the only two games he got to play. I think. <laughs> I think actually he played. Yeah, he played a few in the middle of the season. I don't know what happened to him. Why he didn't get more playing time? But I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. I'm sure we're going to get to it. But uh, Ira's uh, surprise pick played more than his MVP pick. Mm, that we oh, will yeah. get. To. 
That's <laughs> saving the best for last on that one. Um, my surprise player was Danny Tenario, so can't really fault me because that of injury. was no that I, well that's a win. You you get the check mark for that prediction yeah. for sure. Yeah, he uh, he played well when he got the play. Unfortunately, injury just held him back for a while. Uh, best attendance. Chris and Mark had Madison. I said Tormenta. I, I had Richmond. Ira, man, it's not looking good for you. <laughs> that no, looks that good for you. I told you. I told you I was going to lose this thing. I told <laughs> and, uh, and then, uh, yeah, we, we brought it up. MVP. Uh, I had Xavier Gomez. Not not the worst. Uh, Mark had Steve St. Duke. Again, we were all high on, on him. Chris, funny, you went with a Gomez, but you didn't even go with your own team's Gomez. You went with another team's Gomez. Do you remember which team? Yeah, it's Tormenta. Yep, so Ricardo Gomez was Chris's pick, and then Ira, I'll let you tell everyone who your MVP was. Yeah, You know, I hate to say it, it's so long ago, so he was the center attacking mid for FC Tucson, and his name, oh shoot, his name escapes me now, but he was cut. Wow. Like, ladies and gentlemen, I Two cannot even later. remember the name of his MVP pick. That is a, that's how terrible these predictions are. <laughs> his name is Washi Perez. Oh, that's right, Perez. Yes, yeah. He did not even play one single game. No, he that. literally got cut, I think, the day after the episode dropped. <laughs> yeah. Hard to uh, win the MVP when you are not even in the league. So uh... well, you know, you know what's really funny about that, and and I did look for him. I want to say back in June or July to see if he was playing anywhere. He was the team's first signing, and they made a big splash about it. <laughs> they, did. they really you know? did. And so he played I, well for them in the PDL, so I didn't... I assume it has something to do with maybe off the field. It issues. had. It almost had to be, right? Like yeah. it, either, it was either that or he had a look from, from another team that was willing to pay him more somewhere, another country maybe. I mean, that's the only yeah. other thing I can think of. We'll have to do an update to see where he's at. One thing I, I, I when, we, when I was listening to our old show that I found funny outside of the sound quality was that we all decided that at the end of the year... We were going to give an MVP to a player who plays a position that isn't really appreciated and doesn't get the shine they deserve. Uh, this got brought up as, you know, a defender um, would never win an MVP. And we were really upset that usually the MVPs are just the golden boot. So I'm going to go around, put you guys on the spot, and I want you guys to tell me who your MVP is that didn't get appreciated or he could have been an MVP but won't get a look because of his position. I'll I'll start with that. I'm going to say Eric Leonard from uh f- from Forward Madison. I think that forward one of the reasons why Forward Madison had such a good run toward the end of the season was his defensive acumen there guarding the back line. And you know, we he made team of the week a lot of times and you know, but like you said, he, he doesn't score a lot of goals, but that's not his job, right? His job is to come in hard on, on tackles and to make sure that the uh, the opposition gets uh, gets disjointed in the midfield, and he's an expert at it. And quite frankly, um, you know, I, I think that he, if forward had been, if forward had been at the top of the table at the end of the year, you might have thought about him being in the conversation for um, for the MVP. Chris. Uh, I mean, as as easy as it would be for me to go with a Greenville guy, I think I've you know I've already told you some of the guys I really like. But uh, here's here's my measuring stick. My measuring stick is who's the guy every time we play them that I just am like I don't like this person. <laughs> <laughs> so if I was given an MVP because he's so frustrating when your team is playing him, I would go with Josh Phelps from Tormenta. That dude, man. 
he's he's big he's in the way he just he always seems to be in the right position uh when you're trying to make a run and I don't know. I just every time we played Tormenta at home, I just found myself more and more frustrated with Josh Phelps being on the field. <laughs> and yeah, how about you, no. Jason? Who would you say? I think that was a, that. That's a good pick. I'm going to say Alex Mangles. I think because Greenville has a spectacular defense, and Dallas J didn't have to face as many shots to win the Golden Glove. Alex Mangles was the only reason Chattanooga pretty much well him and Beatty. Well, were the only reasons why Chattanooga had a chance to reach the playoffs. And had he had not played for Chattanooga, Chattanooga would be probably ninth place in this league. Uh, and I think because, you know, that Dallas J has these great statistics and because Greenville is just such a good defense and Chattanooga not making the playoffs, I think he gets overlooked. I think he was easily the most impactful player of any player on any team uh, outside of Arturo Rodriguez in North Texas. Fair enough. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm not surprised. You've been talking about Mangles uh, all season, so yeah, not a surprise uh, to me at all. So any any last uh, one, Jason? Because oh, some yeah. of us do have to actually get to bed here tonight. Mm, okay, well, I'm sure you would want to skip past this. <laughs> oh, we have no. one last one where we predicted our boldest prediction, where we made our boldest prediction. Oh, oh boy. I know what mine was. <laughs> Mark said a team would win two games in U.S. Open Cup. Oh, um, that's a, so congratulations that's... to Mark because that happened. Yeah. Uh, he did. I did put him on the spot, and he had to pick a team. He said Lansing, to which I added a bold prediction that if Lansing and Chicago Fire met in the U.S. Open Cup, that Raheem Edwards wouldn't be on either team. <laughs> So, <laughs> Ira, are you ready for this bowl prediction? Because boy, oh, oh boy, uh, okay. uh, I, do you do you even have a do you even have a, a guess of what it was? Do you even have I any don't kind of... re- I don't remember at all. Ira had predicted that in eight or more games, North Texas would have seven goals within the score line. Ira, do you want to guess how many score lines North Texas was in this year that had eight or more, or that had seven or seven more? Seven or more? It was zero. It was absolutely zero. Eight yeah, less because there was than only, the number. There was only, I think there was only one seven-goal score line, and that was uh, that was the Lansing uh, Chattanooga game, right? That so. would be correct. <laughs> that would be very correct, Chris. Well, I just thought, I, I just thought North Texas would score a lot of goals, and I mean it wasn't well, wrong. In, in but fairness, in fairness, it actually I I I questioned the back line of North Texas, right? That was more of it, right? So I expected more like four to three games. So you did, yeah, you did, but was terribly wrong. Speaking of terribly wrong, Chris, <laughs> uh, since you said you remember, I would like I to hear remember. your version, and then I'm going to give you the version that I heard when I went back to listen. Uh, I said that forward Madison would not make the playoffs and that they wouldn't even be close. Yes. Not only that, you said that they would be an eighth. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah, not quite. And when it comes to, uh, predicting playoffs, uh, with Lansing and Ford, yeah, you might want to give me grief about not picking y'all. I don't think you're picking any winners either unless you're picking Greenville. So uh, that was our predictions. Uh, we did have playoff predictions, and we were all pretty much spot on. I think the only big difference was we all pretty much had Chattanooga, um, and uh, except for Chris, but that's because Chris was riding Tormenta to the win all the way. So 
I think I had, yeah, I had Chattanooga kind of, mm-hmm. you know, squeaking in and then winning out. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So excellent. Okay. Well, moving on then the, uh, USL, the official league, uh, all league teams came out. They had the first team and the second team, similar to what they do for like the all American scoring for, uh, for college. Uh, goalkeeper of the uh, all-league goalkeeper was Dallas J, and his uh, on the bench was Alex Mangles. The back four on the first team were Tyler Pollock from Greenville. Um, they, it's funny on the graphic they have him um, on. Uh, you know they have him listed as a right back, but he's actually obviously a left back. Uh, Connor Antley uh, is a right back, but they had him listed as left back, but that's fine. Uh, Christian Diaz for forward Madison, and also Cole Seiler uh, for Greenville. No, oh, okay, so all all league team with no center backs. Cool. Yep. No cool. center backs. So we have, yeah. Uh, yeah. In fact, I think there's only, well, there's two, yeah, two center backs in the, on the second team. So uh, in the midfield, you have Arturo Rodriguez. Um, I, I don't know. I think he's an attacker, not really a midfielder the way that they play in the 4 3 3, but okay. Uh, uh, I, I can let that go just because yeah. of the way he tracks back, gets the ball, ha- is involved in so many duels. You know, I can give that to him. That's yeah, fair, fair enough. Rafa Moshabane uh, from Lansing and Joe Gallardo Thanks. from Richmond. Wait, to to me, Moshibane or Rafa? Uh oh shoot. It's oh to me, to me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. To me. Sorry. Sorry. I, <laughs> my show notes. Uh I, I was busy at work today. Come on. Uh <laughs> and the attackers were Ronaldo Damas from North Texas, Stephen Beatty from Chattanooga, and Jordan Perusa from uh from Toronto FC two. On the second team, as I mentioned, Mangles, your two center backs are Bunk Anderson and Fricky. Uh, Nick Moon, also from uh, uh, from Lansing. Akwe from Richmond Kickers. Uh, uh, I guess he's a center back, too. So actually you have kind of three center backs. Ualfe, defensive midfielder from Chattanooga. Jada, a defensive midfielder from North Texas. And then Rafa Mensigan. There we go. I knew, see, I knew Rafa was on this list somewhere. <laughs> Rafa Mensigan from Lansing. Uh, Pepe uh, from North Texas. Jordan Jones from FC Tucson. And Paolo Jr. from Forward Madison. So big exclusion. So for me, I'm going to say... No Don Smart, no Eric Leonard, no Josh Phelps, and no Grant Stoneman. Those were would be mine. Uh, Chris, who do you have that you know maybe you know was kind of left out? Like, what would be your third team, I guess, or or um, other bench players? Yeah, I think uh, I think Josh Phelps is obviously a big one. Um, <sighs> gosh, it's so hard. There's so I mean, there's there's so many good options, and I think. I think they hit they hit so many people on the first and second team that I think deserve to be there. It's hard to it's hard to argue squeezing somebody else in uh, other than Phelps. Uh, I got That's nothing. Fine. I think so. So Phelps, right. so, 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 so Phelps is yours. So Go I'm ahead. gonna have to say it. I'm gonna have to say it. Why is Joe Gallardo on this on this list? And listen, I know I'm not supposed to talk about Joe, and I and Joe is one of the most talented players in this league. Has one of the highest ceilings in this league. But there's no way he should be on the all-league team. There's absolutely no way. When you look at him compared to Don Smart, Rafa, Carlos Gomez, Alex Morel pretty much stopped playing 20 years ago, and all of their stats defensively are better than his and are the same, if not better than him, from the attack side, right? They ha- like Don Smart has more goals. Don Smart has more key passes. Don Smart has a better crossing accuracy. He has more tackles won. He has more clearances. He has more interceptions. You know, same as Rafa, same as Carlos Gomez, same as Alex Morel. It doesn't make sense. 
right? I, I understand the talent is there, but Joe Gallardo did not help make his team better. He probably hurt his team because of his passing ability. And this is not a list that should be based off of just talented players. It should be based off of players who played well and helped their team win. The fact that there's no center backs too is just so infuriating. Josh, Josh Phelps, Grant Stoneman, two of the biggest, the best backs in the league. Grant Stoneman didn't even make the second team. What I mean, I don't, and, and I don't think Josh Phelps did either. So what? I don't know what the league won. I don't know who voted. I don't know what they're looking at. They should be ashamed of themselves for not only building a team with no center backs, but also excluding players that rightfully so deserve that midfield spot. And like I said, Joe Gallardo, insanely talented, does not need to be there when players like Carlos Gomez, who's put the team on his back, and Rafa Mensigan exist. Hey, conspiracy theory for you, Jason. Uh, uh-huh. Rafa Mensigan should have had goal of the year, but it did, wasn't even goal of the week because people didn't uh, didn't vote for it. So this was their. Oh, you way mean of, Joe? Guy, you mean Joe Gallardo? Joe Gallardo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's where I think that, maybe I, I'll I'll accept that as the only reason as to why this list <laughs> looks like that because I don't I don't agree with that at all. But like I said, no disrespect to Joe, talented player, but no way. Fair enough. So before we get out of here, we have three questions. Uh, one uniquely situated to you, Chris. So, um, but Jason, why don't you uh, read out our first question? Yeah. So, uh, so John Wilkerson, I believe he's a Lakeland Tropics guy. Um, so he's been waiting for that announcement, that potential announcement to come through. So hopefully he gets that soon. But is the league in any trouble from losing Lansing? Does the high number of reserve teams matter in the short run? Those were his questions. I don't think the league is in any trouble losing Lansing. Like I said earlier, this was an owner situation. It wasn't a reflection or indication of how the league is doing, right? I think the league has independent teams. You see Chris's team in Greenville is doing absolutely great as an independent team. Um, I, I wouldn't fear at all from that. I think this is just uh, just an example of an owner not being as committed and knowledgeable as the other owners in the league. I do, however, think that the reserve team in the short run, uh, you know, with Orlando changing, I think it won't be too bad. But I think in the short run, it does make a little bit of a difference now that there are independent teams, uh, you know, folding. And then you hear more about the two teams coming down. So it does kind of make it look like, uh oh, they're they're starting to make this a half two team, half independent league team. But I do think that eventually it'll be short-lived and we'll probably have more independence coming in next year uh for 2021 we'll probably have you know anywhere between four or five so for for me i'm going to say two things i mean firstly uh, you know is the league in trouble i don't think the league's in trouble i hope it's a wake-up call like jason mentioned earlier i hope that the league really vets their owners more and gets more of a commitment and the owners know like hey you have to be in this you know commit to three years and you might lose money year one and two, but by year three, if you do think everything right and you have good marketing and good branding and a good product on the field, you uh, you, you know you should be able to break even or, or make a little profit. Uh, I think the number of reserve teams in the short run doesn't matter, but uh, I think the the risk is is that you can have way more reserve teams. Like if the league winds up being 20 teams, but 12 or 13 of them are reserve teams, that's uh, firstly a bad look. And secondly, doesn't help those reserve teams. Like if I'm an MLS side, I want to play my kids and and my and develop and use my 
my my B team or second team for uh, for development purposes first and foremost. And and that doesn't help if you're only playing you know a majority of your a vast majority of your games against other developmental sides. You might as well just play a U19 league, right? So um, so I do think that that matters, and I think that the league is going to need to balance that and try to figure out how to do that with. Uh, uh, with Major League Soccer and, and, and with the team. So, Chris, do you have any thoughts on on you know the Lansing issue? Yeah, I mean, here's here's the deal. I think uh, the thing with Lansing, I don't think it's a concern to the league as a whole, but I think it actually speaks a little bit to the second part of the question about the B reserve teams being an issue early on. I don't think they're an issue early on, and part of the reason is you got to remember USL League One is a league that hasn't been around that long. So to have this expectation, you're going to have all these independent teams come out of nowhere, I think is pretty lofty. Um, It's really kind of miraculous that you had the teams you did have this year be successful, a Greenville Triumph, a Lansing, uh, a Chattanooga to an extent. These completely independent teams, Forward Madison coming out of nowhere. um, And and that's that was for year one with not a lot of lead-up. So you've had some more lead up, but a lot of these teams, you know, I think Omaha has kind of known what they're doing for a while, but the easiest way to grow the league and to make it attractive to owners to start completely independent teams is to fill it with teams. And so the easiest way to do that right now is add some of these reserve teams. So I don't think, I think in the short run, it actually helps. Now where it's highlighted by the Lansing issue is when you do have an independent team that goes out, it shows that like, okay, when we get these independent teams, they need, like you say, they need to be fully vetted. They got to have owners who buy in, who understand what this league is. I'm not opposed to a 20 team league that is 50 50. I think, I think it, the reserve teams don't have to be detrimental league. I mean, look at North Texas. They've blown the league away as a reserve team. So I think, I think it just depends on how you're approaching it, how you're using the space. You don't want to be in a position like Orlando has been in all year where it's, it just didn't seem like they cared as much about it. You want teams that care, but uh, I don't think having B teams in at this level is uh, anything to to scoff at. And honestly, if if USL league if USL wants to get into the uh, put your tinfoil hats on pro rel game at any point, that could probably solve some of the issues too, because you would have teams like a Madison, a Greenville, some of these independent teams that have the ability to move up if they perform well. Well, that's a good segue into our next question because R. Brady B. asked, do you think Asheville and Ann Arbor are moving from MPSL to USL 2? Has anything to do with an uh, eventual move to USL League 1? And so like you were saying, I think this is where you have the big setup to eventually we can get to this pro rail, right? Mm -hmm. And I actually want to read off the press release from Asheville City. Yeah, that's what I was going to that's what I was going to say. League too. Asheville said, Asheville explicitly says that's what they're trying to do. Yes, like President Ryan Kelly says that uh, uh, as we have been okay, it says for League 2 while aspiring to join professional ranks of League 1 as has been the focus since day 1. So that just shows you right there that he's always wanted to be in League One, and this is a way for them to get their foots in, to help develop their academy, 
Uh, you look at NPSL right now, and especially even look at that Southeast division, I don't even know if there's going to be a Southeast division next year, right? So when an opportunity comes along to where you have a chance to grow the brand, you know you're going to get better social and promotion um, You know, from a USL perspective, you know that you're going to be in a more secure league, you know what's going on, this is how you grow this league and this is how you grow into a system to where it can be pro-rail, right? Have Asheville come in you know, utilize League Two, dominate, grow, and show that they're ready for League One and then promote them up. So I think this is that first step into getting that pro rail system. Well, and you saw Tormenta do that this year, coming up from what was the PDL but is now transformed in the PD, into the League Two. They still have a League Two side, but essentially they brought a lot of those players up to the League One level. And for the first part of the year, that was a huge success to them. They had a lot of that chemistry, a lot of that core that knew how to play with each other. So I think it can, I think they have proved that it can at least be done and can be done decently well to move up to from the amateur ranks to the pro ranks. Yeah, I agree. And and I think that you might wind up seeing more of this. I mean, in a way we already have pro rail, it's just that it's economic pro rail, right? It's not automatic promotion based on, on the field performance, right? It's more, you know, trying to do, um, you know, economic performance. So if you have a fan base and that fan base can potentially support, um, paying, paying your players professional kind of salaries and you have decent infrastructure behind it as well that you've built out over a couple of years, then, uh, then it makes a lot of sense. So I agree. I think, I think torment is the kind of, at least so far the model that people have to look at now, they didn't have great attendance, at least not as good attendance as I had hoped and thought. But at the same time, I think that if they continue to grow their, their fan base, they'll be able to, uh, they'll be able to, to grow it more. And, and again, they could be a model to a lot of other a lot of other teams. Uh, shall we do the last question then, Jason, before we get out yes. of here? Yes. Tommy Chambers, speaking of expansions, Chris, you kind of already answered it, but what is the out- ideal of expansion for next season? So we talked about eventual in the long run what we would like to see, but what would we like to see in the expansion for next season? Well, may- maybe it's worth noting what we have so far, right? So right now what we know, like for sure, that's been announced is – Nine existing teams, because Lansing will be no more, plus Omaha, plus two MLS reserve teams in uh, um, in, in Inter-Miami and New England. So we know that there's 13 announced right now. Uh, so, Chris, go ahead, take it away. What do you think should be, you know, is likely to be the ideal expansion for the next uh, couple of months? Um, can, can I, that's, can I yeah. not do math, or is that, tw- is that not 12? That's 12. Yeah, 12, okay. sorry, 12, yeah. not 13. <laughs> 12. It, it was 13 before Lansing, sorry. Right, it was 13 right. before Lansing. So, I, I mean, this may be a little idealistic, but I think what I would like to see the league do is strive to get to a point that makes sense, whether that's, hey, we're going to we're gonna shoot to be at 14 and have two seven-team conferences, or we're going to shoot to get to 15 and have three pods of five where we can, we can kind of cut down a little bit on the crazy travel for teams like Tucson uh, and Toronto that they're not having to fly all over the place. And now Madison being up there a little bit isolated without, uh, without uh, Lansing. I, but I also would love to see the league make a concerted effort to balance the reserve sides versus completely independent brand new sides like Omaha versus maybe teams coming up from a league two that are ready to make that jump to jump to pro. I think ideally like league one, that's what you want to see is a balance between those three approaches. Um, you know, I, I, we've got two MLS reserve teams coming in. 
I would say I don't want to see another one come in for next year. Uh, unless it, unless I will put this caveat on it, unless it is one more reserve side that's dropping down from the USL championship. But I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe an independent team or two drop down from the championship as well. And I think that could be a, a good sign for, uh, for the league as, as well. What about a hybrid team? What if like a Rio Grande Valley or, or someone like that who their roster is controlled by an MLS team, but they're, you know, have a separate ownership group. It, I mean, but a, a team like that would be interesting. I think, um, you know, I, I know some of these teams like the, we, we had mentioned the switchbacks earlier in the year. I think that they want to stay in the championship because they, they they're working on their own stadium project. I think they've even broken ground. I mean, so, the way they're playing, they shouldn't really get a choice. <laughs> But this is the point, right? Like, like maybe you should. Like, like, is there a big financial difference? Like, if you're going to support your local soccer team, will you really care if you're in the championship versus League One? Like, I know nationally it kind of matters, and if you're in a big city, it matters. But if you're in a, you know, if you're in a place like, uh, you know, like Colorado Springs, which is not a small city, but it's also not, you know, it's not a three million person, uh, you know, population area, um, you know, maybe it makes sense for you to be in league one. And, and then if you wind up with enough, uh, enough fan support and stuff, you can still move up. And again, it winds up being economic probably more than it ends up being, uh, it, it ends up being on field performance necessarily. So and at I, least that's, I think, that's I, you know, I think when we talk about some of these issues, sometimes it's like, we, we forget that this is like the, the smallest percentage of a small percent of people that follow soccer that would know the difference between a D two level team and a D three level team without obviously, obviously they're going to know this is league one or championship, but I would, I would venture to say if you took an average soccer fan who watches the premier league, who doesn't know a ton about the U S soccer landscape and drop them off at a forward Madison game and then took them down and dropped them off at a Charlotte independence game. They're going to tell you that the forward Madison game is the higher quality, higher level of play, bigger atmosphere there are there are teams in in this league now that are doing a better job than a lot of championship teams just look at the attendance trackers that's all you have to see uh to know that that's happening so i you know i think whether it's in the usl championship or usl league one for a lot of these markets honestly that shouldn't matter it should matter where can i go and thrive both on the field play but also financially as an organization i think that's a great point chris Thanks for coming on the show again. It was great having you back. Hey, always, always glad to to come back to my roots. <laughs> Where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you, Chris? Uh, yeah, you can just follow me at Youth Guy Cash and see. Uh, you can you can go dig through Jason's mentions and find my replies to him to get all the the spicy takes, I guess, and just try <laughs> to put me on blast. And then I just block all of your fan base. So I was going to say, yeah. unless you're a Ford Madison uh, fan, otherwise you might not be able to find him on Twitter. No, <laughs> probably uh, you, listen, probably I've, has you I've, blocked. I've relented on the I've relented on the Madison people. The Lansing ones are the ones that all got on the naughty list. So, oh, okay. <laughs> But uh, I don't have our, to worry about them anymore. Our other co-hosts. Well, I don't know. We we might bring Weston on to do all of the. Uh, we 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 might do a, <laughs> a special bi-weekly uh, stats pod, and we'll have Weston Shelton on. So well, that's for you nerds. We're not yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll record it separately. <laughs> don't worry, Jason. I, I won't make you. Uh, I won't make you sit through that. But Jason, where can people connect with you? Well, you connect with me at Home Sweet Soccer. But guys, before you go, I, I need to hear prediction scores. This is a championship. Oh, prediction. I think I think it's going to go into extra time, but North Texas wins 2-1. Oh, 
in penalties or just in the extra no, time? No, no, in extra time. Okay. Chris? I'm I'm going 1-0 Greenville in, in regular time. Okay. Crazier things have happened for sure. That's mm-hmm. I mean I mean quite frankly I think that these are the two most you know deserving teams. I mean if Lansing was here as well I think that those were the three teams that that all deserve to kind of be in the final. So um, any any of these teams like we were talking about a couple of weeks ago can beat any of the other one on any given night. So who scores the goal, Chris? Carlos Gomez. Okay. Oh, you're not going to go with Bermudez from Gomez again? No, man, I've been I Carlos is my guy, the archer, man. We got to get the archer on the board. <laughs> yeah, archer. There you go. So Jason can be found at Home Sweet Soccer. I can be found at Ira Jersey. And you can connect with the show at League One Fun. That's League and the number one fun. Thanks for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And check out BGN.FM for all the other great soccer content there, both written and podcast related. Thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, the official scarf supplier of Major League Soccer, United Soccer League, and U.S. Soccer. Get custom scarves your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. Until next time, hashtag support local soccer. Eat a bag of wee-wees, Tom Dixon. <laughs>